Welcome to Bible News Press. Our goal is to discuss biblical faith beyond cliches and buzzwords, whether such words are religious or political. Sometimes we sit around the table and fellowship. Sometimes we do a little time travel. It is all part of our journey with our Abba Father, who has given us the key to life. We do it with Jesus, and we do it together. Welcome. Hello, I'm Laura. I will be reading 2 Samuel chapter 15 from the World English Bible. After this, Absalom prepared a chariot and horses for himself, and fifty men to run before him. Absalom rose up early and stood beside the way of the gate. When any man had a suit which should come to the king for judgment, then Absalom called to him and said, What city are you from? He said, Your servant is of one of the tribes of Israel. Absalom said to him, Behold, your matters are good and right, but there is no man deputized by the king to hear you. Absalom said, Moreover, Oh, that I were made judge in the land, that every man who has any suit or cause might come to me, and I would do him justice. It was so that when any man came near to bow down to him, he stretched out his hand and took hold of him and kissed him. Absalom did this sort of thing to all Israel who came to the king for judgment. So Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. At the end of forty years, Absalom said to the king, Please let me go and pay my vow, which I have vowed to Yahweh in Hebron. For your servant vowed a vow while I stayed at Geshur in Syria, saying, If Yahweh shall indeed bring me again to Jerusalem, then I will serve Yahweh. The king said to him, Go in peace. So he arose and went to Hebron. But Absalom sent spies throughout all the tribes of Israel, saying, As soon as you hear the sound of the trumpet, then you shall say, Absalom is king in Hebron. Two hundred men went with Absalom out of Jerusalem, who were invited, and went in their simplicity, and they didn't know anything. Absalom sent for Ahithophel the Gilonite, David's counselor from his city, even Gilo, while he was offering the sacrifices. The conspiracy was strong, for the people increased continually with Absalom. A messenger came to David, saying, The hearts of the men of Israel are after Absalom. David said to all his servants who were with him at Jerusalem, Arise, let's flee, or else none of us will escape from Absalom. Hurry to depart, lest he overtake us quickly and bring down evil on us, and strike the city with the edge of the sword. The king's servants said to the king, Behold, your servants are ready to do whatever my lord the king chooses. The king went out and all his household after him. The king left ten women who were concubines to keep the house. The king went out and all the people after him, and they stayed in Beth Merak. All his servants passed on beside him, and all the Cherethites and all the Pelethites and all the Gittites, six hundred men who came after him from Gath, passed on before the king. Then the king said to Ittai, the Gittite, Why do you also go with us? Return and stay with the king, for you are a foreigner and also an exile. Return to your own place. Whereas you came but yesterday, should I today make you go up and down with us, since I go where I may? Return and take back your brothers. Mercy and truth be with you. Ittai answered the king and said, 
as Yahweh lives and as my Lord the King lives, surely in what place my Lord the King is, whether for death or for life, your servant will be there also. David said to Ittai, Go and pass over. Ittai the Gittite passed over and all his men and all the little ones who were with him. All the country wept with a loud voice and all the people passed over. The king also himself passed over the brook Kidron, and all the people passed over toward the way of the wilderness. Behold, Zadok also came, and all the Levites with him, bearing the ark of the covenant of God. And they set down God's ark, and Abiathar went up, until all the people finished, passing out of the city. The king said to Zadok, Carry God's ark back into the city. If I find favor in Yahweh's eyes, he will bring me again and show me both it and his habitation. But if he says, I have no delight in you, behold, here I am. Let him do to me as seems good to him. The king said also to Zadok the priest, Aren't you a seer? Return into the city in peace and your two sons with you, Ahimeaz your son and Jonathan the son of Abiathar. Behold, I will stay at the fords of the wilderness until word comes from you to inform me. Zadok, therefore, and Abiathar carried God's ark to Jerusalem again, and they stayed there. David went up by the ascent of the Mount of Olives, and wept as he went up, and he had his head covered and went barefoot. All the people who were with him each covered his head, and they went up, weeping as they went up. Someone told David, saying, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. David said, Yahweh, please turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. When David had come to the top where God was worshipped, behold, Hushai the archite came to meet him with his tunic torn and earth on his head. David said to him, If you pass on with me, then you will be a burden to me, but if you return to the city, and tell Absalom, I will be your servant, O king, as I have been your father's servant in time past, so I will now be your servant. Then will you defeat for me the counsel of Ahithophel. Don't you have Zadok and Abiathar the priests there with you? Therefore, whatever you hear out of the king's house, tell it to Zadok and Abiathar the priests. Behold, they have there with them their two sons, Ahimaez, Zadok's son, and Jonathan, Abiathar's son. Send to me everything you shall hear by them. So Hushai, David's friend, came into the city, and Absalom came into Jerusalem. That is the end of chapter 15. Absalom's chariot is an interesting choice, especially considering God's previous warning against chariots as a potential source of pride and not trusting in Yahweh. It also reminds me of Haman's foolish pride in Esther chapter 6, verses 7 through 11. It seems odd that David wouldn't notice or hear of Absalom's activities, both the parading uh, up and down the streets with the chariots and the 50 men running before him, and the persuading men not to enter the court. For one thing, Absalom was doing this very much in public, uh, talking to people out in the open, looking to enter the court of the land. And for another, surely David would have noticed the significant decrease in people coming to seek his counsel, his judgment. The Bible doesn't say what David knew, but we know that David pretty much let Absalom get away with murder in his own household. And also, maybe he chose to see it as Absalom finally taking part in the kingdom. 
Absalom was likely the next in line for the throne. Uh, Recall there's been no other mention of Chiliab, who was the second son, and Absalom's older brother Amnon is now conveniently dead. Absalom plays the typical politician. He tells the people what they want to hear. He makes it seem like all their complaints are valid and that any godly or peaceful options are not in their interest. He even goes so far as to touch them and kiss them to make them feel special and like they're his special friend and to tell them that he will finally bring justice. But we know that Absalom has no interest in real justice. He just wants power. Verse 7 has an interesting reference to 40 years that has caused a lot of discussion, and I'm going to read a section to you from the chronology of the Old Testament that I have mentioned in the past couple of episodes. This is on page 99. Let me first start with a couple of short sections on page 98. Many of the modern translations have followed the Syriac version and read after four days, even though every extant Hebrew manuscript reads 40. Admittedly, two of the Hebrew manuscripts have the novel, yet obviously erroneous rendering 40 days rather than 40 years. However, as it is impossible that Absalom could have won the hearts of all Israel in so short a time, all scholarship has conceded that this is a corrupted reading of the text. Nearly all commentaries conclude that the 40 is also corrupt, but they discount that God has promised many times to preserve his word. Accordingly, we shall exercise faith in these promises and proclaim with absolute calm assurance that 40 is the correct reading. Moreover, so-called scribal error is not an acceptable solution as the Hebrew word for four is significantly different from the Hebrew 40. And then the author summarizes four solutions, possible solutions that are suggested. One, is this the 40th year of King David's reign? Two, is it Absalom's age? Three, is it David's age? And four, is it the years that Absalom politicked at the gate? Or five, other. Since we know that David reigned 40 years, we know that this didn't occur at the very end of his life, and so it can't be that. We know that it's not Absalom's age because this whole thing is taking place four years at least before David dies, and Absalom's lifespan cannot exceed 37 years, and so 37 minus 4 would bring him to 33. It's not David's age, because if David were 40, then Absalom would be only seven years old, and it's not the number of years that Absalom was at the gate, for he didn't live that long. So now back to page 99. Solution. The answer is number five under other. The explanation is ascertained by deriving the context which is given in the sixth verse, right before this one. This verse says that Absalom stole their hearts. So then we must ask the question, from whom did Absalom steal these hearts? Well, Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel from David and joined them to himself. When had David won over and bonded unto himself the hearts of the men of Israel? Forty years earlier, when he slew the Philistine giant Goliath. Thus, the forty years is not an error. It is a major key in the chronology of David's life. Getting back to my discussion of the passage, next we see that Absalom feigns godly devotion. He knows this would be important to his father David. And then we have another ironic blessing, and we have to wonder if this shows that David did have a sense of what was going on because he says, Go in peace. 
In verse 8, Absalom is now definitely being secretive about the actual planned coup. He even gets 200 men strategically. He invites them, and they don't even know what's going on. But Ahithophel does know exactly what's going on. A lot of people say that Ahithophel was Bathsheba's grandfather. He did have a son named Eliam in 2 Samuel chapter 23, verse 34, and Eliam was the name of Bathsheba's father, as given in 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 3. And it appears that both Eliam and Ahithophel were closely connected to David. However, the Bible doesn't state specifically that Bathsheba's father, Eliam, was Ahithophel's son. And we do know that there can be repetitions of names, that names get reused. A lot of times when people note this possible or likely connection, they suppose that Ahithophel resented David because of what happened with Bathsheba. But again, there are many examples of enmity between prior friends, even such as David and Saul, or differences of loyalty among family. Take, for instance, Saul and Jonathan. So I think that the connections between Eliam and Bathsheba and Ahithophel are really beside the point here, especially when it's not highlighted. Verse 13 speaks of a messenger coming to tell David about Absalom's activity, which makes it seem like maybe David really was keeping his finger on the pulse of what was going on. Then in verse 14, not only is David fleeing for his life, he already knows Absalom has no qualms about killing close family, but he is also sparing the general population of the city from bloodshed. In verse 15, we see quite the contrast between the loyalty of David's men and how Absalom got people to follow him. Absalom had to wheedle his way into some of the people's hearts, but David's court and mighty men and the priests he was close to, aside from Ahithophel, obviously, are ready to serve him in extreme adversity. It is noteworthy that their bonds were forged in adversity, and this reminds me of the concept we've talked about that real obedience to God is only truly shown when we obey in the face of great suffering. In verse 18, we get details about David's core supporters, including the 600, and the Cherethites and the Pelethites are mentioned. The Cherethites are first mentioned in 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 14, and it looks like there was a group of them that David rescued from the Amalekites who also raided Ziklag. And then in 2 Samuel chapter 8, they are mentioned as having a role in David's military under the command of a guy named Benaniah. Later, we'll see in uh, 2 Samuel chapter 20 that they will be mentioned along with the mighty men in battle. And then interestingly, they are mentioned in Ezekiel chapter 25 and Zephaniah chapter 2 in close connection with the Philistines. And there's no reason to think that the Cherethites and the Pelethites who were with David included all of these people, but more likely those who were living among Israel were known by their ethnicity. In verse 19, we have another example of David's graciousness. He is trying to dissuade people from coming with them. He even refers to Absalom as king, but this guy, Ittai, reinforces that David is the king. We all need encouragement sometimes. Then in verse 23, it talks about all the country. I think that in context, that is talking about the region. The word country is not used in terms of nation in these passages. And then further on, it says all the people. It's implying all the people who were with David. Verse 25, 
Again, David is the opposite of presumptuous. He's the opposite of his attitude when he claimed Bathsheba. He will not claim God's favor, but waits for God to make things clear, which again is the opposite of Saul's grasping at the kingship. And in verse 27, David also recognizes it would be good to have godly friends close to Absalom. This is dangerous for them, especially considering Absalom may find out they were with David. Uh, Recall that Saul as king killed 85 of the priests in a rage. And then in verse 30, it talks about David going up the ascent of the Mount of Olives. There is a continuity of the locations in the Bible that anchor the history and its meaning. In verse 31, David is informed that his counselor, his close counselor, Hithophel, has betrayed him. But David prays and he continues toward worship, and then Hushai arrives on the scene. David takes this opportunity to increase his network of infiltrating what is going on in Jerusalem. And there's nothing wrong with that per se, but I think we need to emphasize here that just because he tells Hushai to lie and just because God is going to preserve David, this does not mean that God is condoning David's choices that are clearly contrary to God's truth and principles. God can answer our prayer without us disobeying his principles. That's all for today. Thanks for listening. That is the Bible News Press segment for today, but not the end of our journey. 